3: Again, I'm seeing how we just ignore this collective pain body because we've all entered into this agreement. We don't talk about our pain. We pretend it's not there. And if you do talk about it, how dare you?
4: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with another episode of Comeback Stories. Today's guest, Sarah Blondin. She's an artist, writer, and the podcast host for the Live Awake Project. She's one of the top teachers on the popular meditation app, Insight Timer, where her meditations are in constant play and have been translated into numerous languages. Her meditations are practiced by individuals all over the world, as well as in prisons, recovery centers, and wellness programs. And for me personally, her book, Heart-Minded, I would say is my favorite book of all time. So to have her on here, and we'll dive plenty into the book, to have her on here is such an honor. It's such a gift. So welcome, Sarah.
3: (laughs) Thank you, Dawn. That was a beautiful introduction. I'm honored to be here. Thank you.
4: So we always just get right into it. And we want to know, can you tell us a little bit for you what it was like growing up?
3: (laughs) Oh man. I wrote a little bit about it in the beginning of my book. I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood where we actually were living right beside, I think it was some sort of rehabilitation home. But what I saw a lot when I was little was, and I remember specifically watching this one man, he had come home and he was quite intoxicated and it was really snow, There was snow everywhere. It was freezing cold outside. And I remember watching him from the attic window rolling around in the snow and not being able to get up. And I remember just all of a sudden just being cracked open to the possibilities of being alive and human and what this meant. And I remember waking up some mornings and there being shoe prints with blood in them on the way to school and needles off the side in the sidewalk. And I just remember being extremely overwhelmed by life. I had a great household and great parents that really helped nurture me. But when you're little, you don't have the words to really describe what you're seeing. So whatever pain I was internalizing by watching the dynamics in the world around me, I wasn't able to articulate it. So I felt very lost and confused. And what my body did was break down and just started feeling a lot of pain, a lot of tummy aches. You wanted your mom to stay home. I was just scared. And I went to an inner city school that was pretty rough and huge and wild. And I just could barely make it through a day of school. I always went home with some sort of pain or ailment. Childhood was good, but I couldn't connect the dots. I felt this incredible love for life and being alive. And yet the stark contrast in reality and pain that I saw everywhere I went, but wasn't allowed to speak about it or wasn't able to speak about it. So I think that's where we're all born as these little kids looking at the sea of the world's pain and not knowing how or what to do about it. So then that's when we get lost in our addictions and we get lost in our pain bodies because there's actually no tools to help us integrate into the world in a healthy way. So that's why we're seeing so much disconnect and and fading out and not being able to really be in the world right now I think is what's going on for a lot of us we just were never taught
4: you had mentioned and you answered our second question which was can you share an early memory of pain but I'll just backtrack into some of the things you said with seeing this pain what you mentioned but I I don't know if you said I didn't know how to process or I didn't know how, I didn't know how to speak on it mm-hmm. or couldn't speak on it me and Darren talk a lot about the four agreements and we're the domestication of We just agree upon certain things, the things our our parents taught us and what teachers taught us. They were just teaching us what they knew, but we agreed. What was the agreement that wasn't allowing you
3: permission Mm, to speak on it? That's such a good question. I think what I really recognized when I was little about pain was that nobody wanted you to see it. So it was almost like as soon as I said, why are you rolling around in the snow when you're in so much pain? It was like this bucking back of anger and aggressiveness. So it was like, how dare you see me? How dare you bring this into the light? And so a part of me just went, okay, like I'm not allowed to talk on this. This is what we do as a society. We ignore and suppress these things. And I remember I lived in Vancouver for a really long time and I I lived in the downtown east side. So you had a lot of rich people beside a lot of really poor people having a hard time. And I remember walking to this grocery store and this guy just started yelling obscenities at me and he was really close at my heels and he was kind of telling me he was gonna, you know, really horrible things. He was gonna hurt me, he was gonna rape me, he was gonna, you know, whatever he was gonna do. And I remember seeing... All these faces and people just walking by like, you know, full horse blinders. And I was like, whoa, like this again, I'm seeing how we just ignore this collective pain body because we've all entered into this agreement. We don't talk about our pain. We pretend it's not there. And if you do talk about it, how dare you? And, you know, there was a disclaimer at the beginning of my book that said, you know, this might burp up a lot of painful stuff just be careful and i was like why do we have to put that there it's still in our self help books it's still in just be careful you know don't touch your pain we know what this does so it's still there even as we're evolving we're still censoring it in some way right
4: yeah i, re- I remember reading that in the book that question how dare you I have a teacher, Sean Korn. I don't know if you know the name yeah. from yoga yeah. meditation. She spoke to my soul once. She's become a really close friend, but her question of inquiry for the class that I was in at this festival was, how dare we not? Yeah. Right now, now she was saying it and it hit me in a different way. But when you said that today, it's like, how dare we not? How dare we not touch it and go there? And, you know, I think what you see, especially in this last year and a half or so with the pandemic and, all the social stuff going on is that it's a lot of unresolved pain, right? You would think COVID maybe would bring everybody together because no one's immune to it. Everybody's in it. So you would think because pain is part of the shared human experience that it would connect us. But what you saw was all this disconnect and I'm sitting there going, well, it's because of unresolved pain and trauma. Basically.
3: We have no idea how to process our trauma. (laughs) (laughs) And even if we've been like handheld through it, we're still having a hard time because we're still meeting those walls within us that we, we shouldn't do that or we shouldn't feel this. And like just raising two little kids of my own now, I really see how they're just like, what's happening? Like, why are you so mad at me? What's going on? And I have to slow down enough to say, okay, you know what I wished we all had when we were really little? was someone who would sit us down and be like, hey, there's going to be so much hard shit. Like, you are going to ache, baby, and you're going to see all the ache everywhere you go. And yet still, what your task is to make that ache come through and then offer it out as a bomb or a healing something. I wish we would have been instructed that what we see, because we all see this horrible pain, and we're hurt constantly from the day we're born, and nobody talks about it. But imagine we were just like, "Hey, this is the reality. This is what's going to go down, and your gift is going to be hidden in how you transmute what you know your gift is going to be in finding the magic of you within that pain.
5: Would be powerful.
4: Something? With 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 the lessons, who would you say for you was your first real teacher?
3: Mm. I mean, in retrospect, I would say my first real teacher was watching that man in the snow somehow. But I had a really good teacher, like actually at school. I hated school. I did really awful at school. It was too much. I could see too much pain. I could feel too much pain. And I had one teacher who woke up the magic, and he was my English teacher. And he talked about writing stories. And how we could go into these worlds and kind of essentially take people out of that experience into something greater. So he was probably my first literally really good real teacher. But watching that man in the snow was a really big lesson on the human condition.
5: (laughs) I think that in order for you to really be in the position that you are today and to really enjoy your life and to write, things like heart minded, you really had to overcome your pain and that ache that you were talking about in order to reach that place. And we want people to know that's what you have to do. People that are successful and in the place that they want to be, they had to okay. go through those hard times and we want to help paint that picture for other people here and let them know, hey, you can be successful, be happy and it's gonna make it even better when you go through it. So I wanna ask you, what do you think was the greatest moment of adversity that you faced in your life or a low point that you would say. And, uh, paint the picture of what that looked like for you?
3: I've had three kind of really big low points in my life. And I, I don't expect that I've had my last and what I've noticed in studying them and looking at them was that they each came at, um, some sort of birthing of me into a bigger, more expanded version of myself. So when I was living in Vancouver, I was an actress. I had graduated with journalism, and I was doing broadcast journalism, but there was this horrible hollowness in that for me. And even with success, I was feeling painfully out of integrity somehow. So I remember lying just on the concrete floor of my apartment almost daily in the afternoons with a big depression that was just, move through me every day. And that was really about wanting to find the thing, find whatever was hidden in all of this. And it was a big longing, a deep longing, but it it came more in the face of a depression. And then I remember moving to the country and, and finally listening to what my body was saying in a deeper way. I was pregnant, so that really forced things to happen more quickly. But... And then I remember moving there. There was tumbleweed rolling down the streets. I was in total isolation, basically just with my husband. And I had almost a psychotic break, it felt like, where I just couldn't see up from down. And that wasn't a depression. It was more like a reality. What's happening? Who am I? Like a rattling of the cage in a sense. And then once I rode that one through and I found the it. So I found the offering. I found the voice. I then went into another cycle of my lowest low, which was actually really frightening. It came with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of suicidal ideation. It was like, you just keep expanding. So this bigness you're talking about, we all talk about it in a very romantic way. Like you wanna be big, you wanna break your cage, you wanna show up in the world in a big way. And it's like, well, you are gonna meet every little inch of you then that is holding you back. And we neglect to say how terrifying that's going to be. And what are you going to do when you meet that terror? And I remember having anxiety and sleepless nights, like anxiety that kept me up all night. And just talking to my husband and being like, "I I need help. I can't get out. I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. I need help. And he would just say, okay, let it annihilate you. Like lie under this tree and let it take you because we have to let these layers off, but it is peeling back of your body, who you know yourself to be. So it's a really painful, excruciating experience that we have to endure if we wanna be big, like you say. So there's been so many, and I think there's gonna be more. But now the magical thing is, since I've been through the depression, the reality shake, and then the anxiety crumble, I've gotten my like these stars or like some superhero things that are like okay, like I've been rattled as deep as I could go, and I think I can do it now with a little more grace.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love we talk about the things that are holding us back. Donnie and I often talk about you know, the stories that we tell ourselves, and I was
2: thinking mm-hmm. about this
5: morning. I was actually listening to one of your meditations this morning about accepting change, and then you talked about you no know, releasing our grasp of the old and the familiar, and talking about like this change we're like holding it off, but this is what we've been crying out for so long and just how crazy that can seem in our minds. So how were you able to let go of the old and the familiar of your depression and your circumstance to get to that new reality that you created?
3: There really, I wrote that one, I think when I had just moved to the country and I was like, oh my God, I don't know who I am. And I was like, if I let go of this, like I'm falling, I'm free falling, like into the unknown. So that's why we don't do it. I remember like feeling my pain and being like, I like holding on to my pain. Yeah, this is good. This is good. Cause then I don't have to, I don't have to explore what's out here. Holding on to my pain, whether it was physical or just some foggy thing made me feel more safe than going into the unknown of who I was. But what I've learned is that regardless of what I think I'm doing, Something's moving me along anyway. You know, there is a part of us that just has to recognize, okay, this is the phase of our life right now. I'm in tremendous panic and anxiety over whatever's being triggered for me right now. And it's going to move through. And that's what I've learned again with having to go through those three different cycles of really big pains is that regardless of what I did, it, it moved anyway. So. It's really just about surrendering, big word that nobody really understands, but I would just show up every day and with my latest breakdown, (laughs) with my latest breakdown, I would just show up every day and lie on my back and do a Joe Dispenza meditation and let go completely. And then I'd finally get to a place of peace and then I'd walk back to my house and the anxiety back. And it was just like, that was the rhythm. It was like, okay. Find your ground a little bit and then go back to your life the best you can. But don't you dare ignore that. Because if you don't have some sort of ritual or process of connecting with the divine, of connecting with grace, of opening a deeper relationship with yourself, you're going to get lost in the neuroses. And that's when you risk the levels of insanity and depression that are really hard to get out of. And that's where I understand so much of our world is in, is we're just in a cycle of avoidance and we don't know. It's like, I can't lie down because then I have to feel that pain. And if I go do that, then I have to face all that. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. And you're going to be okay. I just wish someone said, yeah, you're going to feel that and you're going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. Better than okay. Better than okay. So
5: yeah I, I mean i love I love what you said about how you would meditate and you would come back to the world. I feel like sometimes we can meditate and get lost in that experience and want to just stay there, whereas yeah. things like that, things that we work on those practices and principles are what allow us to go back into the world with a purpose and allow us to impact it and because we have to face it, there's no other way of going about doing it. so I would like to ask you when did it hit you that you really wanted to You know, your profession, your purpose to be helping others heal through meditations, through podcasts, through writing. Like, when did that start to click for you?
3: So, the craziest thing is that was totally organic God stuff. When I first moved to the country, I had always been a writer. I'd always journaled, I'd always done that. That was like me. It was like, how do I process the world? So, I was doing that quietly in my own. So, this is what I think is the secret whatever you're doing quietly on your own time, no matter what, is probably the stuff that has that gold dust that's going to help the world. But I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't, like, who cares about my journals? Everybody thinks like me. You know, we're all the same. Like, I'm not, I don't have anything special to offer. But I remember moving to the country with my kid in my belly and him being born and me losing my mind and writing in my journal. And then some sort of voice came through that was deeper than any other voice and more comforting than any other voice I'd met in my work before. so it was like I almost I cracked into something new there. And that was because of solitude. And I cracked something new. I wrote them and created them as literally just an outlet to not go crazy. And I put them onto SoundCloud or a podcast and had no zero, 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 I'm gonna help people nothing was there. It was like, I'm going to help me not die right now. And then it it like took fire. And I was like, whoa, what? So a part of me is still really uncomfortable with what's happened, Darren. (laughs) Because it's essentially, I was like, these are my journal entries. And now I'm like, people are like, you're my guru or something. And I'm like, oh, no, no, these are just my journal entries. Don't give me this title kind of thing. And that's a lot of that anxiety breakdown was like, "Okay." accepting what life is offering accepting what life is opening to you even if you didn't choose it it's okay how do i say yes to this so really honestly it came organically and as if by divine law that i'd be doing this
5: i love
3: it but i'm just so excited to share it in places that really matter i just started making these meditations with videos of nature And now they're being offered in every prison in the United States and Canada. I'm working with the Compassionate Prisons Project. And I'm just like, oh, man, to be able to have that kind of impact is what I'm talking about.
4: Darren, I want to ask you, because Sarah, you may not know this, but Darren writes music. Darren wrote the theme song for our podcast, Came oh, Back, yeah. which is like such an amazing song. But Darren, when she was sharing that about her journal entries, what was coming up for you? Because I know you process, and it comes in the form of music,
3: right? Yeah. Uh-oh, Darren. Uh-oh, yeah,
5: Darren. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's, that's my lane. That's uh, where my thoughts come out, that, that Came Back song flowed like so organically. I mean, that was probably the easiest song I ever wrote. Just because every line in that song was like I didn't have to like think of something or envision something. That was like something I had been through. Something that I had walked through. So it was just like me putting myself out there. And you know mm-hmm. people would hear it and be like, Man, oh look, like, there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing I'm just like, I'm just trying to get this out of me, express this in a way that I know how. And I had to write down, Sarah, what you said about the things that you do in your quiet time. That's the stuff. And that's, that's, that's music exciting. for me. You know, all my time doing music, I never really do it in front of anyone. I'm always at my house doing it. And it's just, it's, it's my thing. But that's what brings me the most joy. And I feel like it allows me to bring other people into my world. And I know that they can relate because my problems aren't really that unique. <laughs>
3: Yeah, none of our problems are unique. And that's what I'm really learning about live awake. And like when I wrote it, people were just like, thank you for saying when no one's ever said, and they're all the same. Like you could say every person struggles with the same shit I struggle with. So it's like, I never ask, what do people need to hear? I always ask, what do I need to hear right now? Wow. And then you'll know it'll resonate because if, if it's about somebody else, you're never going to get there. You have to go, you, you, you. It's always an inside thing, isn't it crazy? So if you're healing yourself and identifying your own self, and then you make some sort of art from that, then that's the art. That's the art.
4: And Sarah, you probably don't know a lot about our backgrounds, but Darren and I both come from the world of addiction. We've both been sober a decent amount of time now. We both, at one point in our addiction, overdosed. And I know most of our audience might know this, but I love this conversation and to keep it more conversational for context. This is our mission, right? Comeback stories. It's really to reach as many people as possible to share that everybody has a comeback story within them. Yeah. And I know for me personally, what changed my life and what got me into this position with us three talking together is sharing my mess and sharing mm-hmm. the pain. It used to bury me in guilt and shame, go as a college baseball player and then you know go from an athlete to a drug addict. Like that messed with me for a while and got into teaching yoga meditation here in in Arizona. And some people knew my story, but not everybody. So I went to Sean Korn's uh, leadership training off the mat into the world. And we were tasked with creating a service project when we left. And there's that how dare we not question again that she asked. And this time it was how dare I not share my story when I know there's people dying here, showing up, looking all good, driving the nice cars, looking good on the outside, but fricking dying. That hit me. And really, that's why we're here. And then Darren was basically shared it on a way bigger platform and shared it to the world through the platform of HBO and HBO Hard Knocks, which goes behind the scenes with an NFL team. And I saw it. I'm like, that is my dude. We've got to connect. And here we are. So there's just a little context. for Oh, my
3: God. That's the cutest love story I've ever heard. (laughs) My boy. I know. And isn't that just amazing that could you think of a more beautiful world? And this is what I keep coming back to when everything gets dark. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in my head about the the current scenario. But, But what we're all really struggling to do and wanting to do is to excavate within us some sort of gift that we can offer back. And I'm like, that's the fundamental core of this life and everyone that's here is we're all just in a mess because we can't find that offering. And then the mess, if we look inside, what I hear the other day from one of my favorite poets, David White, he said, grief is its own cure. So it's like, all we get to do is is talk about our pain and how we're moving through it constantly. And then that helps someone else move through their pain. And it's just transparency. We're all longing for that transparency. Like, I don't care how good you look and how nice your car is. I know we're all suffering. I know we are. I know we are. You just got to pop that veil and then we can actually move into healing That would be the goal. That's it. And I always
4: talk about how my addiction saved my life. My life from not just going through the motions and thinking my purpose was or fulfillment was things, material stuff where my addiction getting to that bottom woke me up to realize I got work to do. And so much of that is rooted in service because when we do our work through 12 steps and we look Mm -hmm. at our character defects, typically our addictions are rooted in selfishness and Mm -hmm. self centeredness. So we're given the tool, the antidote of service. And what that does is gives a a purpose and a freedom that I never knew was possible. And it sure helps us stay out of our own way.
3: Yeah, we're our own worst. uh, Service is key, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you just have to give back somehow through it all, for sure. There's a
4: whole lot of gratitude moving through me right now. But I'd love to ask you, what are you most grateful for today?
3: Hmm. I've been in a really big state of gratitude lately, but almost over everything. So almost over everything, every bird, every leaf. Um I've really been contemplating death a lot lately. I've just turned 38 and I don't know. I do things usually a little bit early. So I call this my midlife crisis. But I've really been contemplating death and how none of this belongs to me. My kids don't belong to me. A day isn't necessarily granted to me. The gravity of that is really real. So all of this is just temporary. This moment between you and I is temporary. And that's really bringing me into a state of almost like I could cry gratitude all the time just over the gift of being alive and even feeling so much pain. Even pain can feel good.
4: Sounds like the practice of uh, non-attachment.
3: I hear that. Oh, really. I'm working on day. it. <sighs> but I see how much I'm so attached. Like even my gratitude is is an arm of my attachment. Please. I just want to feel this forever. See mm. this forever. See this face forever. Feel this love forever. And challenge myself to when I talk to someone new or anyone for that matter, actually be intimate. Dare myself to not live on the surface of how you doing, blah, blah, blah. Go there. We got five minutes Then life's over.
5: I'm sitting here thinking about You just said the gift of feeling pain. Could you imagine like back when you were laying on your floor in your apartment, thinking that you could see feeling pain as a gift? No. (laughs) It's just mind blowing.
3: That's the magic though. It's always in retrospect. When you get your feedback, you go, oh, wow, I see how that was helping me learn that about myself. And I see how that was helping me do that. So now when pain comes, I go, okay, what's up? Let's go sit down and learn about each other. It's really beautiful. I guess that's what they say about getting older is like the gift of wisdom and growing wise is you actually learn that this is like an intimate back and forth with an excavating of the deeper and deeper realities of ourselves. And it never stops.
5: Yeah, with that um with that new wisdom. You know, what if you had say we like to say a tweet on here, but if you had one paragraph or a short phrase, a sentence that you could send to that younger Sarah that was struggling, that was in that depression and didn't know which way to go, didn't know how to deal with things, what would you say to her?
3: Mm, I think I would just say it all hurts, or, I know it all hurts, but you can do it. I've had for my whole life, you can't handle it. You can't do this. You can't handle it. And I would just say you can, simple.
5: Simple but powerful.
3: You can. <laughs> the
4: power of a reframe, and why I feel like meditation is so important. And there's so many misconceptions around meditation. People, I don't know, Sarah, you probably get this, but someone that doesn't meditate might say to you, I'm sure you've heard this, I can't meditate. My mind yeah. never stops thinking. And I always try to say, nobody's does. So you just give your, your mind something to focus on and through that you can create space to actually reframe things or let go of the you can't and then also hold on to the things that are inspiring that come up through meditation. How would you say for you like meditation has impacted you, changed your life, the major benefits? Can you talk a little bit on that?
3: I think meditation is really a practice of seeing. So admitting. It's okay, you slow down enough that you can admit what's happening inside of you. And once you get to a place of admitting, that's when the wheel can start turning in the direction of letting go or changing. So if you're skipping that step and you're not creating any space to actually admit and relinquish or offer up, where are you going to get? And that's the step we're so afraid of. I remember this one woman saying, I realized when I laid down on the floor to meditate, that my whole body has been in a state of clenching and distrust all day long. And she's like, I didn't even know that was there. And I'm like, isn't that what we're all doing? By the end of the day, we're like, (laughs) we're all just clenched up. So the end of the day is like, our meditating is just, okay, let's unlock the doors. Let's see these things that are closing us up. Let's feel into them. And then we let go. Or we just sit with it. If I didn't have meditation, I don't know where I would be. And I remember starting out meditating and feeling that same way, just like, I can't do this. What's the point of this? I couldn't even do five minutes with my eyes closed. But again, if we become disciplined in something, something takes us anyway. And that's what I keep, you know, as long as we choose and we become disciplined in something, it has its own unfolding and you don't have to worry about it so much. And we don't have to worry so much about how our pain gets healed. We just have to see it. And then the seeing creates the whole that changes the cycle. We don't have to be as responsible as we think. There is literally a divine form of grace that is helping us the whole time. And he wrote in my book about the part where I was about to take a volume. And I had a volume in my hand and I was like,
5: I can't handle this. Oh my
3: God. My brain was just like, my mind was like, I hit a wall. I hit a wall, like a really big trigger point for me. And I was like, I gotta get out. I gotta get out. I gotta get out. And I was holding this little poop pill in my hand and I'm like, just take it. You're gonna go away. Just go away. And then a voice was like, clearly, go outside. So first I, I saw it. I heard it. A voice came in and then the voice kept guiding me through the field, through a process of organic healing. Like I started singing. I looked like I had like, if you were to just look at me as a stranger, it would have been like a psych, schizophrenic walking through a field, but (laughs) maybe that's the secret. Maybe we're all supposed to be a little more messy. Maybe we're all supposed to be walking through fields crying and asking, for help more that's what my body asked me to do so again i had nothing to do with that i just had to listen to the first sound and then it had its own process you know we just have to show up for the process and stop avoiding it stop drinking the drink stop taking the drug stop shopping you know mm.
4: there's a few things i i want to unpack on the fire that you just dropped but one of them is with the meditation. Talking about how it's seeing and admitting, right? Awareness. Mm-hmm. The first, that's the first step in creating any kind of change because we don't know if we don't know. Admitting what I heard in that word was honesty, like self assessment, like which self love, a big piece of self love <laughs> is taking an honest look at yourself. You got to get honest. We try to help people in recovery all the time and they're not willing to get honest. You can't help them. Totally. You got to be able to get honest. And I think the other piece you, you were talking about was you brought it up a couple of times was there's something, call it God, call it universe. Whatever you I, want. Yeah. Yeah. And I always talk about with trust, right? If, if it's trusting God, trusting the universe, that trust actually releases us from the burdens of excessive responsibility. And hearing totally. that, and I don't know if I heard those words or I spun it into my own framing, but that is
3: it. It's not all on us. It's, it's not. not. It It's almost actually nothing to do with me. Like, I'm just getting in the way all the time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So you just have to show up to be so honest. And then a humbleness comes. And then you're almost just like in awe of the mystery and bowing down to whatever pressure comes to you. Because it is an unveiling. If the pressure has come, somebody said to me, if it's happening, it's necessary. And then you just get out of the way as best you can over and, over and over and over and over and over and over all day long. And then if you make it through to a higher state of being in existence, and and then you have to show up in a bigger way, then get ready for your next one. And get ready for your next one. It's mastery. And that's what I'm really trying to teach my kids. We're becoming masters. That's heavy. That's big work. But I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. But yeah, let go of that responsibility. There is a force. There is a force. When you
4: said if it's happening and often in if I'm leading a yoga class, it would be if if it's coming up, there's a reason why it's coming up. If it's coming up, if, you know, that whole pigeon pose thing, a lot of stuff can come up in pigeon pose for people. If it's coming up, there's a reason allow it to come up. But what do we do? And that's the nice thing about seeking refuge on your yoga mat is you don't have the distractions so mm-hmm. you can allow it to come up and obviously and we have to feel it to be able to heal it but it's all information it's just all there to teach us something
3: yeah and it's old information and it's like tired and sad stuff in there and it's okay it's here but it i know how scary it is we can talk about this so like flippantly and like we're all in this nice place right now or we're just like cozy and we're not going through something major but I know how scary it can be. And that's why I really wanted to write the book because if you're being pushed to such an edge that you want to die, right? I'll say that. I'm like, you want to die, right? Can we talk about how you want to die sometimes? And like how scary that is to admit that you want to actually die because this feels too big. Like we say it so sweetly in these talks and they're so inspirational, but I know how dark it can feel. But I just want to encourage everyone. And that was the part in the book about this: sh- the snake shedding the skin is like the skin will suffocate you if you leave it on. But we need to find a way, even though these ghosts are at our door, wanting us to leave this life. We have to find a way to, ha- to stand up with our fists up anyway, and like really find courage within us. To say yes and then that current can start carrying us but if we start saying no and getting so lost that's what I see so much of us in is we're saying no to the natural healing process that's trying to take place so mm. I don't know there's hope
5: especially when you read something ask yourself if the price you are paying by listening to your fear is worth the sacrifice of living in alignment with your heart uh, yeah you know things like the best that's, that's hope right there. That makes me want to go right towards that thing that's arising, that fear in me. And I've realized that ever since I've gotten clean and had to go through things. It's literally the things that make me the most uncomfortable. If I just go and do those things, go towards those things, there's such great revelation and just things that just start to make sense in those clouds mm-hmm. start to dissipate when I go towards it, when I start to lean into the fire a little bit and feel some of the burn but you know, the character that comes from that is what really gets me to where I want to go and it, it all goes back to that meditation that I was talking about earlier that I did by you and just how we want that change so bad but it's so difficult it's so uncomfortable to walk in that change and walk in that action but it's worth the sacrifice and I know somebody needed to hear that today and I hope that you can go pick that book up at some point
3: yeah, everybody needs to hear that. It's like if you're in hell, go to hell. <laughs> like go to go inside hell and talk to hell. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I really want people to hear that. Shake them.
4: We've got some more nuggets. So Darren just dropped one of the nuggets from your book, but we're hoping you can touch on these. So very first line of the book: We are all born as pure light our very life sustained by the beating heart that is here to guide and inform us. But Because life is imperfect, our very first moments of being alive, we discovered that the needs of our heart could not be met. I'm going to jump down a little bit. We turned away from our tender heart and entered the mind, neglecting to come back and care for this crucial elemental aspect of our being that to me is like everything and i'd love for you to elaborate but also why that was
3: the opening line of the book the book so much of it wrote itself but that's what i've seen since i was so little we've all checked out and we've left the actual spot and that's what i started doing right is when when i saw all the pain around me and i felt all the pain around me i just went up and out somewhere i went up and out and then no one said okay where did you feel that where did that stuff hit first that caused you to ricochet off and go somewhere else it hits the heart right away it's like all of us can feel that from the second we're born we're born with our mother's pain in us. We're past the baton from the second we come out of the womb. Now what are you gonna do with this? And we can all feel this coursing through us on some level, and we can fly to the moon right now, and we can explore planets, but we can't walk each other through our pain. And we can't walk our babies through their pain. Like we're so far behind. And what hits us first when we come out? What hits us first? I see my little kids like, my little guy, he's five. The other day I was lying in bed with him and he said, Mom, I feel like I'm in prison in this body. Yes, I talk to him about stuff like this all the time. <laughs> but he's like, I feel love in the world and I want to go there, but something stops me because I see it blocked in people. Mm. So I think intuitively on some level, like, can you not relate to that as a, like, if you go all the way back to when you're a little guy, could you not feel your parents disconnect and your mom's pain and your dad's pain without them saying it? Like, it's that, that no one said, okay, you're going to feel that here. And then you're going to, you're going to escape and run by accident, innocently, so fucking innocently. and then nobody says come back. And then when we're 40 years old, we say, ah, God, my body's literally dying, breaking down somehow, because I forgot to come back. So it, it's, it's really beautiful, though, because it does force you back anyway. So that's what I always think of when I'm going into places of despair. It's like something's calling anyway, and we are hearing it, and we are learning. But yeah, I guess I, I always saw that. On as the reality of what was when I was little. So I wanted to start the book in that way.
4: Sorry, a couple lines down. Without our heart to soothe, affirm, and comfort us, we become lost in tormented and twisted thoughts about who we are. We suffer from self denial and aggressive internal criticism, never satiated, always seeking. We scour the world outside of us for worth and meaning. Turning away from our heart was ultimately an act of violence against who we really are in effect we removed our wings one of our wings that is i should have you be reading this not making your <laughs> voices way better than mine or darren's okay, i like
3: hearing it yeah darren <laughs> oh it that's how I, I see it and then the reunion with the heart is like really clumsy and awkward and we don't know how to live in it but yeah it's so funny to hear you read it yeah,
4: it sounds awkward reading your book to you. <laughs> <do> you mean? <laughs> but the words this is actually for everybody else cuz these words this book you've got to read this book. It's, it's amazing. So I'm reading this book in Michigan with my fiance's family last year and I'm just like underlining everything and I end up like giving it to my fiance's mom. She reads it on the trip and I I, I told you this before the before we started but like every coaching client I have them this is the book. I have a men's group We're reading The Four Agreements right now. This is the book we're reading next with, yeah, with a bunch of dudes.
3: I love that. It's amazing. dudes need it the most. I have a lot of female followers, but I actually have men that are like, men especially are not allowed to go into the territory of the heart. Like one of my guys is seven and he like went to write, I love you in a card. And he was like, from, and I'm like, what do you mean from? It's (laughs) love, Leo. And he's no. And I'm like, what are you learning? I'm like, what's teaching you this? And I'm like, something happens in the world. Even if you think you're doing the best job you can, something's happening to us little boys, especially to say, no, you don't know. You don't give love. You don't say love. That's not okay. And that is disturbing to me on so many levels. But yeah, so I love that it's reaching men because, whoa, you're allowed. God, and you're so sexy when you get in your hearts.
5: <laughs> <laughs> we'll put well, of those in the locker room.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that,
4: that's what makes me so happy to see. Even having Darren on here, right? From the world's perception, an NFL right. football player right. is the ma- the masculine of all masculine. But why I love him so much, and why I resonate, is and why I'm like this is what it's all about. The manliest of all men, from everybody else's perception, is talking about what we're talking about today. To me, this is what it's all about.
3: Yeah, it's almost like the revolution that needs to happen. If a bunch of men really stood in that, in their feminine, the marriage of the masculine and the feminine, we would see probably some pretty major changes. But we are seeing it. There's pretty big leaders that are men that are doing it, doing the good work. Yeah. Good job, guys. (laughs) Yay.
5: Before we wrap up, I just want to read one more as well myself. Um, It is imperative that you learn to sit with your soreness and stagnant wounds when you stop avoiding yourself and begin deeply listening and following through with what glimpses and whispers of guidance come to you. You are led toward and then through your pain while discovering self-acceptance, self-love and compassion along the way. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the general theme of everything that we've been talking about. You can expand upon it if you want, but I feel like that is just like the the, the bookend for today, pretty much. It's just like everything that's been shared. You can't avoid you. You got to take you everywhere you go. and know. Oh, uh, you don't want to be walking around with someone that isn't who you are or isn't who you could be or someone that's just conforming to whatever the world wants to practice. You got to be willing to take it there with yourself. And I just feel like I'm over here writing down pages myself. I'm supposed to be co-hosting, and I'm just over here learning and <laughs> soaking it all. And so, I'm inspired. I know somebody is inspired right now. Listen to this. I
3: hope so. I love it. I love it. And that's yeah. I guess I want to end by saying, if you're just starting this journey of internal intimacy, I always want to say, just get ready. Don't come at it thinking this is going to be totally roses. And accept the invitations, even if they feel like hell. Mm. Courage, beloved. Mm. My dad always says to me, courage, beloved.
4: So we always end the last question we wrap up with is, who gets your comeback story shout out? Who is that person that you want to give some love to that was in your corner, that one person that you just want to shout out today?
3: It's got to be my husband. I got to be this shout out to my husband. He's like a tree who doesn't really, he doesn't do, he he doesn't go, he's so stable. (laughs) So I'll, I'll give him that. He always provided a nice clear mirror for me when reality felt unbearable.
4: One of the most loving things I think I've heard anybody say to somebody was what you said in the beginning, let this annihilate you. Mm. where we want to fix. I fall into that. I want to fix. I can't take the hat off, and I want to just fix. And oftentimes when we're fixing or helping, we're actually getting in the way. And so for him to say that from a place of love, that will stay with me forever hearing Mm. that. I had a feeling it was going to be your husband.
3: He's real good. I think that was like some sort of hand of grace or karmic lottery I won, because it was like, okay, if you have some form of strength to anchor you somewhere, someone then you can really dive deep. I think we need each other for sure to do this type of work.
4: We need each other. We all need each other and we can't do this alone. I want to acknowledge you. I cannot begin to tell you how much of an impact you've made on my life and your words and your fire (laughs) and your meditation and this book, Heart Minded, you must read it. So thank you for showing up in the way that you do. I'm excited to see what's next for you. And Mm -hmm. I know you've got uh, two huge fans. So just thank you.
3: <laughs> and thank you. I just want to say thank you so much you guys here. I can feel your hearts through these damn computers, but thank you for being here and thank you for being heart minded with me. Woo-wee woo-woo. Hey. I <laughs> uh,
5: appreciate you. Yeah. All right, we're out. We're out. what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned.